A lot has changed in the world since the Ku Klux Klan was founded. For one, people can say anything they want online without showing their faces. Hate groups used to be isolated to geographic areas, but now they're on Twitter. Anybody can find somebody who thinks like them with the click of a mouse. I'm Storm Jones. This is Hate in America. In this chapter, News 21 fellow Scott Bork takes us to the quiet rural Washington community of Mount Vista, about half an hour north of Portland. He's visiting a group of guys pre-gaming. About 60 of them from all over the country are descending on this farmhouse, slapping hands, taking shots, pounding cheap beer, and enjoying typical young male hijinks. These guys are proud boys. All right, so we're all Western chauvinists here, right? And as a Western chauvinist, we pride ourselves in being Western civilized. We are not savages. We are not animals. We are f***ing men. A far-right group of men, mostly in their mid-20s. But at the same time, on top of being men, we are f***ing gentlemen. So I don't want you guys going in there starting Nothing dumb like that, because that's not us. That's what Antifa does. Many of them are sporting long beards and wearing the trademark uniform, a black and gold Fred Perry polo shirt. We're there to stand for our ground and stand for our rights. Freedom of speech, Second Amendment, etc. and whatnot. We all know our f***ing amendments. Some are in combat gear, tactical vests, helmets, and carrying the same first aid kits that troops in Iraq and Afghanistan carried. After the 2016 election, it's a fair assumption that when there's a protest or political rally, there will be counter-protesters. And as we all saw in Charlottesville, these can easily get heated and even get violent. News 21 spoke with some members of far-right groups, as well as the people that protest against them, to see how ideological differences can lead to violence. Holy sh! He rammed into the back of a line of cars. People were pinned in between cars. So let's go back to August of 2017, Charlottesville, Virginia. Jelaine Schmidt, a professor at the University of Virginia and a Black Lives Matter organizer, was there that day. So was Jason Kessler. He organized the entire rally. They don't really see eye to eye on what the initial rally was even about. This is about fair treatment, and I don't feel like white people are being treated fair right now. They said this was a free speech rally. It was never meant to be such. They also disagree on who started it. He stalked those guys and bashed a guy over the face. We're spraying them with lighter fluid. You know, this could have been a conflagration, an emulation. The guy who fired a flamethrower at my attendees. Of many of them were coming open carrying, you know. Uh, were shouting anti-white ethnic slurs. One of them even discharged his firearm, you know. They were robbing them. people of Confederate flags and torching them in front of us. On their part, the, the violence was planned for quite a long time. They, they were willing to allow their own supporters to get beat up just so that they could make us look like the bad guys. They do agree on one thing, though. They both believe their side is on the right side of history. It's time for white people to be able to have political lobbies, organizations to advocate for our rights. Nobody tells, you know, those who marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge with Martin Luther King that they did the wrong thing. And this was the Edmund Pettus Bridge of 2017. But neither side actually thinks they're violent. They're just righteously fighting against the violence. Defend you yourself. have the right to defend yourself, okay? We are all here to have each other's back. I don't want to see women, children get hurt. We're the ones that f***ing stand between the good innocent and the evil. You f***ing hear me? Can I get a hoo In the old days, hate may have been less prominent, but more visible. It usually appeared in a white robe, 
like the one Thomas Pugh wore to our interview. He's the Imperial Wizard for Mississippi's division of the Ku Klux Klan, and has been for a while. He joined out of a sense of duty to his fellow white people. He believed the government wasn't treating them equally. State of Mississippi embarked upon what they call a school equalization program. That meant they spent a lot of money on black schools to bring them up to par with white schools. And that didn't sit well with him. And they were doing this so much that for a while, white schools were either going underfunded and some were even going unfunded. School integration alone ensured the Klan would be here with us from now on. Today, what many consider to be hate groups are also nervous about integration in society. Patrick Casey is the executive director of Identity Europa, a group of mostly college-educated men. Um, the first step to affecting social change is to win over hearts and minds. Absolutely, no problem. Thank you for enjoying a nice day in the park. Today, they're cleaning a park in Philadelphia. Some people say they're neo-Nazis, but they prefer the term identitarians. We're of the opinion that um, a society with many drastically different identities existing alongside each other is going to lead to ethnic conflict. It's going to lead to people struggling and vying for power within the same state. The solution? Uh, we feel that a more harmonious world order is one in which um, each ethnic or racial group is able to have, uh, you know, some place in the world to call home, essentially. He points to Japan as a model of a homogenous society, with one race holding a supermajority. Closing the borders is how we get there, he says. Uh, I think, obviously, illegal immigration is the biggest demographic threat at this point, so you know, all of Trump's proposals, if carried through, would definitely help in that regard. He doesn't want to stop there, though. We need to cut back on legal immigration, or perhaps go back to types of immigration laws that we had prior to 1965, which were immigration laws that favored countries uh, like you know, Northwestern Europe, just to kind of retain this country's historic demographics. Spreading that message takes a lot of work. We're an activist organization, as well as a fraternal organization. To get the job done, Identity Europa has activism coordinators like Lewis, who didn't want us to use his last name. But activism, I'd say, is the main thing we do. If you take a look at our Twitter, the vast majority of it is activism. To spread their message, they usually hang banners and flyers. The last banner action I was a part of was in New York City by the George Washington Bridge. We dropped the banner and it basically said, Danger, entering Shanksuary cities. And um, our San Francisco chapter did this as well. So it's a way of letting people know you are entering a place where illegal immigrants are almost given free reign. Casey admits that members of minority groups in America often have a tough time. I just started to think about what it's going to be like to be a white person in San Diego in like 50, 100 years. Uh, white people there are going to be minorities and not too long. I was thinking about the, the possibility of a future as a minority, and it, it's absolutely uh, not one that I look forward to. The Proud Boys also consider themselves activists. They insist their activism has nothing to do with race, gender, or sexuality. According to Mac Lewis, the only thing they hate is Antifa. They're using Antifa, the globalists, as their infantrymen, like as their foot soldiers, try taking away our freedom of speech, our ability to defend ourselves with the Second Amendment. And, you know, people need to take a stand. They believe that white conservatives, although they may not be in the minority, are discriminated against. That's what Ethan Nordine says they're trying to fight. You know, people shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, I voted for Trump. You know, we can disagree, but we can talk about it. People won't even talk about it because they're so scared about the reaction of coming out 
on who they voted for, what they believe. To some people on the left, though, the Proud Boys' beliefs alone are violent and need to be stopped. We won't allow them to commandeer our public spaces and uh, advocate for their hate without some vocal and visible expression of dissent. We just won't allow that. A common refrain echoed by the Proud Boys is how concerned they are by violence that they say left-wing protesters and anti-fascist activists wage against conservatives. For Proud Boy Daniel Garris, standing up to this violence is his calling. And then we started getting calls from people that were being assaulted. Elderly people, elderly vets, disabled vets, you know, younger people being spit on and assaulted by people that just because they had this, you know, dissenting views. And people were, we were one of the only people that step up and put ourselves between those people. And we'll do it until the day I take my last breath. That's why he and about 50 other Proud Boys crowded into an old school bus to head to the rally. This sense of duty and meaning is how they recruit. Nicholas Christensen, like many of their members, is ex-military and seems to appreciate being part of a big group like this. I feel like it's my civic duty. If you're not doing something, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you got to be part of the problem. What was it? An Albert Einstein quote, I believe it was, that uh, evil men prevail when good men fail to act. Today, they're getting ready to attend a rally for right-wing Senate candidate Joey Gibson. There will be about 150 people in this rally and about 300 counter-protesters. If they stand behind you, protect them. If they stand next to you, fight with them. Yes. If they stand against you and attack you, whoop they motherfucking ass! That's Tiny, a big Samoan guy and member of the Proud Boys. They're expecting some resistance to their march from Portland's anti-fascist demonstrators. My partner Tessa tried to talk with them, but they weren't cool with us. Is there a problem with filming? Yeah. Why? Because people here don't want you to film them. That's why we're all masked up and stuff. Identity and various things. Yeah, but don't you want to like get what you're doing out here? It's been out there. The media chooses to not portray it in the actual light that it is. According to their website, the Antifa group believes that free speech has limits. This is what they say. No one has the right to threaten our community with violence. Likewise, we reject the right of the government and police who have more in common with fascists than they do with us to decide for us when fascists have crossed the line from merely expressing themselves into posing an immediate threat. We will not abdicate our freedom to judge when and how to defend ourselves. When they cross paths with people they consider fascists, like Joey Gibson and the Proud Boys, well, it pops off. But those on the right, especially the Proud Boys, relish it. Yeah, well, and it's just posting it online and everybody's like, well, we want to come to this. And it's like, well, let's do another one. Let's go down to the streets and, you know, prove that we're allowed to be here, you know. For this rally, Proud Boys from across the country and even Hawaii flew in. These groups use social media quite a bit. It's free, it's anonymous, and it's low risk. Northern Arizona University lecturer Dr. Ben Kruger, an expert in online political rhetoric, says the internet is a definite factor in the rise of modern hate. Messages online carry lower social costs than message face-to-face. -face. What we see happens online, social costs goes away. I don't have to immediately face 
whoever I'm talking to, and so that then increases polarization. Jared Taylor founded American Renaissance, a self-described white advocacy group that extensively used social media to spread its message of white civil rights. Until... December of last year, Twitter just sent us a notice, both my account and the company account, saying that we were suspended. And they said, well, the suspension is permanent because you are affiliated with a violent extremist group. He was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted by that. Not even our worst enemies have ever accused us of affiliation with violence or provoking violence or having anything to do with violence. Taylor views this as left-on-right discrimination by powerful leftists in California. It's, it's very clear that if a group like Twitter or Facebook starts censoring, they tend to censor on the right, not on the left. And uh, is, this, is this really the kind of world we want to live in, where these Silicon Valley guys in their hoodies get to decide what is stated publicly and what isn't? Kruger disagrees. He says private forums, like privately owned social media companies, can control speech on their platforms as they see fit. There's nothing in First Amendment law that says a private organization like Facebook uh, or someone who owns a web hosting company can't ban these people from uh, expressing their opinions. Yet. And people vote with their wallets, too. You know, I think this is a case, oddly enough, where capitalism and the free market may play a role. Like it or not, though, removing extremist groups from Twitter does impact their ability to recruit and spread their messages. Nothing has quite the same reach and impact. Uh, we are on Gab, but Gab is a much smaller platform with a limited audience and doesn't have anything like the same reach. Uh, President Trump is not on Gab, he's on Twitter. Their opponents on the left can use social media to their advantage too. Portland Antifa has doxxed many members of the Proud Boys based on their social media presence. And in Charlottesville, Jelaine Schmidt, the Black Lives Matter organizer, was able to identify people she says were being violent. It was only through civilian intelligence efforts, you know, in taking pictures of these people and kind of connecting the dots to their social media profiles, that they were identified by name. For the Proud Boys, this is just one of the many threats they say they're willing to endure for their cause. Knowing that, Lord, because we're standing on your will, Every form of evil set against us shall not prosper. Knowing that, Lord, through your uh, righteousness becomes victory, Father. And we honor you by standing up and having will and the hunger for righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. For the Proud Boys, engaging in combat with the so-called enemy is a literal rite of passage. They have a four-degree system. To earn the first degree, a proud boy must declare they're a Western chauvinist who refuses to apologize for creating the modern world. You can say, yeah, you can videotape yourself and post it to, you know, whatever, yeah. Facebook, whatever. Second degree is having five other proud boys punch you while you name five breakfast cereals. It's adrenaline control. You have, you have five big dudes punching you, but at the same time, it's it's kind of a joke, you know, and people yeah. don't get that. People don't get the humor behind it, you know, like you're getting, you're getting jumped in, yeah. but not really. The third degree requires them to get a Proud Boys tattoo. The Proud Boys aren't the only right-wing group that has weird initiation rites. Just ask Thomas Pugh, the Imperial Wizard of the Mississippi KKK. I mean, the Klan started out simply as a social fraternal organization for fellowship. They had all kinds of initiation. One of them was a new man was to dress up in a sheet as a ghost right out to the home of his sweetheart and serenader. And the fourth degree requires members to, quote, endure a major conflict related to the cause.
As soon as the right-wing activists left their rally and tried to begin their permitted march down the streets of Portland, many of the Proud Boys earned their fourth degree. This chapter was produced by News 21 fellow Scott Bork. Fellows Rosanna Cooney, Tessa Diestel, and Shelby Knowles also contributed. Hate in America is part of a larger project produced by Carnegie Knight News 21, an investigative program headquartered at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication in Phoenix, Arizona. This year's project was produced in partnership with ProPublica's Documenting Hate Initiative. To submit a report about a hate incident, visit ProPublica.org. This is the Portland Police Bureau. The permit for this march has been revoked. Clear the streets and get onto the sidewalk. In our next chapter. Some of the things that we know happened was he shot at her car because there's a pellet holes in the back of her car. 